Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Midweek in the Word. We're glad that you're joining us for another episode. Um, We're glad that you're tuning in. As always, I am Brad Myers, Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor. And back again this week, uh, I am joined by Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor. Welcome back to the podcast again, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Nice to be mass-free and uh, live and in person. That's quite a change. You can't tell this, listeners, uh, (laughs) from your homes where you sit, but uh, Tom and I are finally sitting across the table from each other once again and thrilled to be doing so uh, in this challenging season. Uh, But uh, it's good to be able to see each other while we have these conversations. (laughs) So, uh, but Tom, when we we jump off this episode, uh, we're going to take a little bit different route, uh, but but I'm not going to tip my hand quite to where we're going yet um, because I want to make sure we review Route 66. This last week in your snapshots from Genesis to Revelation series, you were in Daniel, probably a familiar book and one we studied last week as well, but you were focused on the character of Daniel instead of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, So from Daniel's life, what did we learn about God on Sunday? Well, I think in the Daniel story that, that, that God is a sovereign over history was the huge one. He is the God of history, past, present, and future. He could declare in detail what would happen in the future because he controlled it. And uh, I think that truth was really lived out in Daniel. Can't can't think of the constant reminders. I know as I was preparing the prayer for Sunday, all of the different prayers by the different kings and Daniel talking about God's dominion and authority. Unescapable in the book of yeah. Daniel, undeniably. Uh, what about what did it reveal about us, about mankind? Well, again, I think that uh, the heart is an idol factory, mm-hmm. and how uh, Daniel, in the midst of that world, lived faithfully before the Lord, but all around him, people were looking for gods that were more tangible. So we again just see that we, as man, uh, so quickly turn our heart from the living God to take something that's a poor substitute. Mm. Amen. But also, obviously, the encouragement that in such a depraved yeah. society with evil rulers, Daniel was able to stand firm on what God had commanded him to. Uh, I know it was an encouragement to me, even as I think mm-hmm. about our current season. Finally, how did the person and work of Daniel point us to Christ? Well, there, were, there were a couple of places. One, uh, when those who were jealous of Daniel tried to find fault and they looked at a seven-decade track record and couldn't find one area. And it reminds you of the perfection of Christ when he stood on trial, and they could not bring any accusation against him. But I, I think the other is the promise that the Son of Man is to come, and to him dominion and authority will be given. And it's just that, the promise of the ultimate kingdom that mm-hmm. will not fail and will live forever. Yeah, you weren't weren't able to get into too much of no. it in the latter part of the book of Daniel, but yeah. the rock that comes and crushes the statue, uh, what a good reminder. You know, we think of the book of Revelation, which we haven't gotten to yet, no. that Christ wins, you know, and, yeah. and, and we ultimately win with him. We'll, be, we'll be there with him. Yeah. What, a, what an encouragement. Yeah, even, we, we're even wearing the right jersey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you, Tom, for that message on Sunday. I know I found it timely, and in, in a lot of ways, that frames where we're going to go in this morning's conversation 
as well, because I'd like to talk about what seems what may seem like a strange subject to many of our listeners on the podcast. But I think it's both extremely timely and arises pretty naturally from the life of, of Daniel, as you preached on in Sunday. You mentioned Sunday a few times how interesting Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to the different political leaders they served in exile was. So I thought it'd be appropriate to address that subject on the podcast this week. How do we read the Bible with politics in mind? Or, or what is our biblical, <laughs> political hermeneutic? I know we've brought up the subject of hermeneutics on the podcast, but it's basically how we interpret the Bible, which is what this podcast is all about. So we're going to talk about how does our interpretation of the Bible inform our opinions politically. Now, Listeners, I want to start with a quick disclaimer on this, uh, because before you turn us out or tune us out <laughs> thinking this will just be another political debate like you're so used to hearing anymore today, wait, wait just a second. Give us a moment, because this isn't what you think. Uh, I want Tom and myself to explore this morning the interpretive principles that guide how we use Scripture and politics, not so much the conclusions you have to come to, but how we use it, and, and not how Tom and I personally feel. You may hear a little bit of that, but we'll try try to keep that to a minimum. Um, Also, a quick warning for those of you that are listening. We recognize that this is a divisive and challenging subject. We also realize that as believers, we need to know how the Bible speaks into this. So for better or worse, uh, (laughs) we won't simply be supporting your political opinion, your take on an issue, or your party of choice. I know that's what many people would probably like to hear from us, but we want to inform your decisions about politics biblically. Uh, in a lot of ways, this, this comes from, I found a really good quote from Brett McCracken on the Gospel Coalition's website. I'll be linking it at the end of the podcast, in the podcast notes. Uh, he says this, and I found it really insightful. Many Christians today are being more powerfully catechized by voices on cable news, talk radio, and podcasts than they are by voices from within the church. The average American Christian is likelier to have their views shaped by a political pundit than a preacher to be more influenced by the bully pulpit of Twitter than the actual pulpit of the church. And I think that's timely for us to remember. So that's precisely the subject we'd like to speak into this morning, Tom. So let's, let's start by trying to frame this up a little bit for our listeners. In a nation that prides itself on the separation between church and mm. state, mm. should we even be thinking about how the Bible enters into the ballot box, if you will? Well, you know, the scriptures speak to moral values and absolute standards and all. And uh, we're given the freedom to express ourselves uh, by voting, uh, democracy. Mm-hmm. So the reality is when we go into the, into the booth to cast our ballot, we, we have to allow the scriptures as we understand them to direct our, our uh, vote um, just from the side of voting for those if possible, those things that demonstrate harmony with biblical values. But that being said, you you can't turn to a chapter and verse that'll tell you which side of the ballot to put your X on. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it should influence us, but it requires biblical thinking before we arrive there. Good. And so we'll continue to try and explore that. And so we're dealing with how does the Bible inform? Um, not exactly what does the Bible say, yes. but how does it inform? Um, so, so let's start off here uh, by a little bit of a, a negative start, and we'll flip to the positive later. How have you seen what we, I'm sure, are well-meaning people incorrectly try and use the Scripture in politics over the course of your ministry? 
Well, too many times they have picked up one or two major uh, social challenges and uh, identified a candidate hmm. with that particular position. And then uh, suddenly uh, everyone that believes the Bible the way I do has to vote for my candidate, you hmm. know. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Jerry Falwell Sr. had the— uh, the moral majority movement, and uh, back in the days I pastored in Gothenburg, you know, we would get weekly uh, mailings suggesting sermons for us to preach on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, thus bringing the thing. I think other things. You know, uh, voter registration at the church. We go to church to worship the Lord, but the reality is that if you really love this Jesus, you would be signed up to vote. Mm-hmm. And so we had you mm-hmm. know voter registration things. So there have just been all those little subtleties uh, that have kind of. Uh, challenged and uh, t- uh, taken away the uh, the freedom. Uh, I, I think we see it even now when we invite politicians to the pulpit hmm. and not to expound God's word, but to to stroke the people who believe the same thing we do. Hmm. Okay, so so let's let's try let's try and break this down a bit for our listeners then, because in a lot of ways, what you're talking about is is different sorts of maybe hermeneutical issues, biblical interpretation sorts of issues. So how, how can we break these into kind of different categories for people to think? What are some of the different types of errors that lead to the sorts of things that you're talking about? Well, I, I think that probably the biggest challenge to the church recently has been the confusion over the nation of Israel, the promises God's made to mm-hmm. the nation of Israel, and assuming that America is the new Israel. And so we, we tend to read the scripture immediately uh, into American history. Hmm. And uh, uh, it, uh, how, do, how, do I, how do I explain that? Uh, other than the promises that God made to the nation of Israel do not automatically become the promises made to American democracy. And uh, so knowing exactly, uh, again, context determines meaning. So uh, put it back in the context and say, is this what God is speaking to in principle or in promise? And uh, knowing the difference between those. Uh, the, the thing that helps me is uh, it, it, I ask myself, if I were if I were invited to preach in a pulpit in Nairobi, Kenya, and I had this passage in front of me, how would I prepare it, interpret it, and proclaim it? And would that be different than I would proclaim it in America? Because mm-hmm. they're two different political systems. So, uh, again, it's letting the scriptures be the authority and not my culture or my time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this overarching Bible speaks into every culture throughout yeah. time that we've mentioned in the past. Yeah. Maybe we can call this the uh, um, the the covenantal issue of which covenant was it under? What people was God speaking? Yeah. How much had he revealed to them? I do find it ironic that as you read church history throughout world history, that nearly every country that believers have found themselves in have thought that their country was yeah. the one-to-one relationship with Israel. Yes. Um, so we don't fall into something that's maybe a, a unique challenge no. as, as America, but it seems to be one that's de- definitely very relevant for our time. Well, it, 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 yeah, and I, I think you talk about the abuses. Uh, there are too many, in my opinion, too many pastors, preachers, trying to make a direct correlation between conservative politics and biblicism. It's, I mean, and, so if you, 
if you believe the Bible the way I believe the Bible, obviously you're going to vote in this way or stand on these particular positions. Mm-hmm. And uh, with, yeah, without doing just the heavy lifting of studying the text in the context again. Okay, so we've got yeah. these covenantal issues. There's not this one-to-one between Israel and the church. Maybe, maybe one of the other ones that I was picking up on you talking is not everything in Scripture is a direct line, even if it's from the New Testament, right. is a direct line to our political system. And maybe the best way I've heard this referred to of before is there are straight-line issues from Scripture mm-hmm. and there are jagged-line issues. Mm-hmm. Straight-line issues are things that go directly from moral wrong in Scripture, such as thou shalt not murder, Therefore, abortion is murder. We can't support that. Other things are jagged line issues, things that maybe we aren't on the same page, you know, such as um, immigrant policy. And and how do we handle that? Well, you can look at the Old Testament and you can see kind of this mindset of loving and being a friend to the stranger and alien. But that's not really there. To your point in the covenant, that's not really there to inform exactly how we do our political approach to immigration. It's it's more of a jagged line issue, a place where different believers will disagree. Um, so maybe we're, we'll call it that sort of an issue, yeah. a, a straight line, jagged line type of issue. Um, well, it's a little bit like we've talked in the past about the bullseye, you know, yeah, the yeah. things in the center are the non-negotiables we've got to die for, and the, is the further out you get. And the sad thing is, is that in the political arena we're in, too many people try to jam everything into the bullseye mm-hmm. that is really open for discussion or debate beyond so, um, yeah, I, 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 as you were speaking, I was, I was thinking about um, the encouragement to King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, God says, I'm going I'm to humble you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom he will. And then he said, therefore, my counsel is this, break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. So mm. it was like, so that th- those are those values that are non-negotiable. How do you express that in, in a political thing? So you, yeah, there's, the scriptures are really clear. You know, we, we have to care for the needy. We have to care for the widow. We have to care for the poor. But at the same time, that doesn't align me politically, and yet we try to build that bridge too quickly there. Mm. Yeah, I, I do find that the bullseye illustration is helpful on that. You know, in a lot of ways, the middle speaks to the gospel, which doesn't really impact politics a tremendous amount. The second ring speaks to how churches run themselves, church practice. Again, government is in a different sphere yeah. of influence than church yeah. practice. I know they clash at times, obviously. Yeah. But we have to recognize that a lot of our issues are really Christian liberty. They're third tier, at least yeah. how to approach them. Though the biblical mandates of seeking justice and loving mercy yeah. and those sorts of things are straight straightforward from Scripture, but how we apply them is yeah. maybe different, and different people will see them differently uh, based upon their background and, and the way they see the world and interpret Scripture. Yeah. That's good to keep in mind. Any other major kind of categories of issues that you, that maybe you've seen from people in this area? You know, in the culture we're in right now, uh, you know, racial issues are a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few years ago, uh, gender identity was a huge divisive issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've, we've even... Uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? We, we, we have even gone so far down now that wearing mask in church or not to wear a mask in the church becomes a divisive issue. And, and then suddenly the politicians and the church leaders are crossing the lines and they're in combat. Um, the, the scripture speaks to those things. Um, but if you're not reading the scripture with clarity, you find yourself fighting battles that don't have to be fought. Hmm. But then on the other hand, uh, if you're not reading the scripture with clarity, you find out that there are some battles you ought to stand up and fight. And uh, so to knowing which ones those are and uh, where the scriptures give latitude and freedom and where the scriptures are black and white, mm. um, that, that's, a, that's a tough one. I think about the, the racial one and, uh, you know, the Good Samaritan, it was the religious leaders who, who passed by the wounded man. Yeah. And uh, it was a Samaritan who crossed across the lines of racial distinction and and um, dirtied himself, soiled himself, and uh, invested himself for mm. for the sake of another. Well, that that that's a black and white issue. You know, love your neighbor as you love yourself, but uh, so as not to soil my hands, the religious leaders avoided it. And so I, th- I think we see that happening too many times. There are I, I choose the ones I don't want to become involved with, and then I'll make a big issue of the ones. I do, and uh, so good career Bible reading will tell you which wars to enter into and which battles to avoid, I think. Hmm. And and I can say for both myself and Tom and, and the leadership in general at the church, I'm sure, uh, we are endeavoring to help use Scripture to inform <laughs> uh, the way you go about these things, but we will work hard to not just let you hear our opinions <laughs> from the pulpit. We want the Word of God to speak through, and it will inform things. It is our job to help inform those sorts of things, but not necessarily to get you to conform to our personal yeah. opinions yeah. on a lot of those subjects. Uh, so we will continue to endeavor <laughs> to do that as best we can. Okay, so Tom, let's let's try and move back to the flip side then. Let's go back to the positive, away from maybe some of the issues and challenges we see. Um, so how should the Bible inform or be used to inform our political opinions? Well, I think no matter what culture you're in or what uh, political system you're in, there are, there are core values uh, to the heart of God. The, the things that declare uh, reflect well. The light of the gospel, and so we. I think that we let the scripture formulate our values and declare those. Uh, again, just uh, I, I was thinking about the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus, you know, addressed there. If uh, he wanted, uh, he wanted the people that would be a part of his kingdom be known by these characteristics. It's mm-hmm. a great place to start, you know, as a, as a member of our culture and our our country. Uh, do those things that Jesus say are the high values of those who are citizens of my kingdom, uh, are those represented in us? Hmm. Maybe to use your previous example of, in some ways we feel like these biblical things at times are in conflict and we're trying to figure out how to handle them. You know, to use your example of, of the racial unity conversation, what we have to admit is Scripture is very, very clear that there is no reason to to be prejudiced for or against anyone made yeah. in the image of God based upon the color yeah. of their skin, their ethnic background, any number of things, their socio-political um, situation or their economic situation, any number of different things. That that sort of favoritism is unfair. Yeah. 
On the other side of things, we would have to speak with clarity that certain actions to make that clear, violence uh, would be out. So, so the Christian feels this yeah. conflict yeah. between Scripture has said we should not respond in violence. We should even even it says slaves to masters, which we 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 struggle with a little bit. Be subject to those that are over you. You know, don't respond in violence. Don't that yeah. kind of thing. On the other hand, speak out against this injustice, yeah. where these are all people made in God's image. Those are things that sometimes, yeah. in, as we work through politics, feel like they're in conflict with one another, and different Christians are trying to figure out how to handle yeah. those competing yeah. interests. Both biblical mandates. Both biblical mandates. Yeah, yeah. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male yeah. nor female, slave or free. You know, it, it, the gospel tears down those distinctions. Uh, at the same time, we can't just uh, look the other way when those yeah. are being violated. We, we have to speak to it. On the other hand, that going to bat on those things of battle is, is not necessarily the gospel either. Yeah. And uh, so how do, yeah, how do we enter in, uh, make a difference for the sake of truth? It's always yeah. the challenge. And those should foster good conversations within the yeah. church where we share the unity of the gospel, um, but also do have some different opinions like Romans 14 talks to us about. Well, the, the, and the trap, you know, quite honestly, on Sunday, I, I used the, the phrase, you know, to kneel or not to kneel. Hmm. And you know, regrettably, and probably intentionally, I threw it in there. <laughs> but but the reality is, most people were thinking in terms of the American flag, whether we should kneel during the national anthem or stand straight. You know, we just immediately defaulted that when uh, you know they they were being asked to bow the knee to another god, and they said we can't do that. Mm. And then they were being told, don't bow the knee to your god, and said have to do that. So again, the wisdom to know biblically: Do I dissent here? Or, or do I conform here? What, where's the line? So that's why I think the story of Daniel and his three friends is so timely. They, there were mm. so many things that they were saying, that's not a hill to die on. Yeah. But when it came to loyalty to the living God, then they had to say, even if it costs us our life, and uh, I'm afraid that, that we've drawn our lines way too soon mm. in that area. Mm. I think that's helpful. Um, let's, go, let's go on that theme a little bit of what you were talking about with Daniel, okay? Because Daniel, you're in the Old Testament. You're under the Old Covenant. Okay, we've already spoken to this issue of which covenant are we under, what contextually yep. is going on. So, so therefore, then, how do, we, how do we employ a good biblical hermeneutic, interpretive principle, um, to understand the ways the Old Testament informs versus the way the New Testament informs how we judge politics? Well, you know, Paul was used of God powerfully uh, under the Roman authorities. He found a way to uh, work well and effectively, even though Rome demanded that you worship the Caesar. Hmm. So uh, he, he called the people to the one true living God, and the accusation was they are preaching another Lord, another master other than Caesar. So uh, as long as it did not require... Um, that he bowed to Caesar, he, he conformed within the law. He says, you want to become all things to all people that I might win the many. Mm -hmm. So he, he, was, he was willing to keep that loose. But then when it said to the apostles, you're, you're no longer to proclaim the gospel, no longer to preach this name, don't mention that name of Jesus. They said, sorry, at that point, we have to obey God <laughs> rather than man. So again, it, it's not a whole lot different other than when you read the epistles and you read the book of Acts, you see that the political scene has had changed quite significantly. So there were some core principles that carried all the way through. They respected the authority, but when it required that they compromise truth, they would not obey that authority mm -hmm. at that moment. Yeah, I can't help but think of the 
you know, the memorable words of Christ in Mark 12, you know, this masterful answer to this carefully crafted question to catch him yeah. and either get him to lose his support from the Jews yeah. or to get him to take it, be taken out by the Romans. And he says, render unto Caesar that yeah. which is Caesar's and under God that which is God's. Yeah. Presuming that Caesar is not a God, also saying that he has authority that's divinely granted from God. Just a, an amazing response, you know, if, if you dig into that reality of what God is calling us to when it comes to rendering to Caesar that which is Caesar's, which has more than just tax implications, yeah. though that's obviously there. Um, but more than that, render unto God what's God's, our well, total you know, worship. And that, that very thing is that when Paul writes in Romans 13, you know, submit to those in authority over you, he's writing to a church that is living in the shadow yeah. of Caesar's throne. Yeah. I mean, it is not a safe place to be. But he didn't call them to a revolution of some kind, to a rebellion or a riot. You know, it, where possible, submit to their authority. If it crosses the line and you have to choose between gods to worship, you must choose to worship the true and living God. But apart from that, give Caesar what Caesar has rightfully come. And so, we, again, when you put that into the context of the congregation that received that letter and they're mm-hmm. reading that in their small group gathering, somebody has to be going, are you kidding? Does Paul know where it is we're living? Yes, he does. Yeah. He lived under that. Undeniably, uh, which, which kind of leads me to my next question then. Are, are there different sorts of topics or, or issues, think specifically politically, um, that the Bible would engage with differently? Uh, we've, we've brought up this idea of, of straight line and jagged line sorts of issues. Um, are there other things that, that we have to recognize from an interpretive standpoint aren't one-to-one sorts of things. Well, yeah, basically when you're interpreting Scripture, you're, you're always asking, is this a principle? Is this, is this just a picture of something? Or is this a promise? Is this, is this a law that's been laid down? Or is this a general guideline? I mean, mm-hmm. certainly those impact us uh, politically in our positions that we hold. Uh, again, we... Too many of us just like a nice straight line. We don't like the jagged line because <laughs> we don't live well in that uncomfortable arena. But yeah, it, it, without question, uh, it, it, unless you're reading the Bible with a serious uh, attention span, uh, you're going to draw conclusions too quickly. I, I think it has to be biblically informed through serious Bible meditation, contemplation. Hmm. Yeah. Well, if, if, if I can attempt to summarize some of what we've talked about here for our <laughs> listeners, I, I know this is, a, this is a longer conversation. Mm-hmm. This is something that we could, we could speak to in three or four podcasts, I'm sure, Tom. Um, but some of the things to keep in mind for our listeners is, is to avoid some of the maybe um, intuitive leaps from yeah. Scripture to politics. You know, all of us as, as good readers of Scripture want to let the, the word inform yeah. our politics, and that should be true across the board. However, some of the errors we tend to make is we make Old Testament things directly applicable to the way that you know, America in yeah. the 21st century ought to operate, as opposed to recognizing that there's differences between the two, um, and that's the way it's worked. Uh, we also have a tendency to, to make issues simpler than they are, yeah. you know, and say it's, yeah. it's this biblical principle. Well, Possibly the other side, to use that idea, is, is speaking from a biblical principle too. Yeah. And so we reduce the argument down to the one thing, uh, when a lot of times the, the issues are much more complicated uh, than, than our Facebook posts would give them credit for being, yeah. uh, unfortunately. And then, and then recognizing 
that a lot of these political things are Christian liberty third-tier areas. There are areas where we need to bind our consciences based upon the Word, and then there are third-tier Christian liberty aspects that really depend upon somebody's perspective, and people may agree at the objective we're trying to achieve and disagree about the right way to get there. And there ought to be charity within the church. There ought to be a recognition that we are aligned on the gospel, we love each other, and just because someone has a different political opinion doesn't necessarily mean they're unregenerate. Though the Bible <laughs> should inform both opinions yeah. um, as we speak to it. And any final thoughts in addition to that on this subject, Tom? Well, I, the, the timing is incredible because we're less than 100 days away from a national <laughs> right. election. And it right. does have the potential to seriously divide not only a local fellowship, but the church Overall, I, I think the point is to remember that there is ultimately coming a king, a kingdom that, that will be full of righteousness and justice, and that it will be an eternal one. In between there, there will be many leadership changes. And uh, however we approach it, uh, the biblical values that we must hold, we must hold in a non-compromising way, but in a in a gracious way. But bottom line, God will put upon our throne the king of his choice. He will put the president of his choice, and he'll put the governor of his choice, and he'll put the senators. Bottom line, God is sovereign over all. And if we don't remember that, we we start to get panicky. So that would be my encouragement, is remember that God himself is sovereign over even the political movement of the world today. It's a good reminder. Um, I'd like to wrap up our conversation this morning um, with with a final quote from Brett McCracken's article, We Need Prophets, Not Partisans. Uh, I think he says it really well, and I think it's it's an encouragement to us in the church. Uh, He says this, wrapping up his article, When the church fixes its gaze on CNN headlines more regularly than the pages of Scripture, it loses its prophetic edge. When union with the right candidate or cause matters more for Christians than their union with Christ— Who would blame young people for losing interest in faith? But when the church fixes its gaze on Jesus Christ, God's revealed word, and an internal perspective beyond the fleeting stimuli that fill our feeds, we can speak truth prophetically and maybe be heard. Hmm. When our faith shapes our politics, our sexual ethics, our speech, and everything else, rather than those things shaping our faith, the world might take seriously the gospel we preach. Hopefully that's an encouragement to you. And if you have any additional questions on this subject, please shoot them the direction of myself or Tom. We, we would like to come back to this subject if there's more things that we can be clear on. Um, but we got to keep moving forward in our Route 66 sermon <laughs> series, Tom. This week you've got Ezekiel. Um, what are you looking forward to teaching on from the life of Ezekiel? Well, Linda asked me the question, why did you choose Ezekiel? It's, it's one of those mystery books. And uh, so anyway, I'm looking forward to just maybe uh, opening it up so people can gain some confidence to read mm. it. That, that's my first challenge, mm. uh, to give them a sense of, I could read this and maybe understand it. <laughs> there we go. Hopefully we'll all come out of Sunday with yeah. a little bit better grasp for what this odd and awkward prophet had to say to his people. Uh, what about interpretive questions you're dealing with from well, the book? Uh, there's a repeated line, so I'm looking to see how that frames the book. The line is, they will know that I am the Lord. Mm. And it shows up over and over, 50 plus times already I've counted. So uh, that's what I'm saying. Is that the outline? Is that the framework that he wants us to read it by? Good. Finally, how can we prepare our hearts for this message on Sunday? 
Well, Ezekiel uh, is unapologetically, uh, almost scathingly confrontational Mm -hmm. about the uh, sin in our life. And so I think we prepare our hearts by saying, Lord, if, if, if he reveals something in me, an attitude or action that you want to change, prepare my heart to hear that and receive it. Don't, mm. don't let me be like the people that Ezekiel preached to God, because I'm going to give you a head that's harder than theirs. Mm. That, that's not very encouraging. So, you know, Lord, soften my heart so yeah. that I can receive your word. Praying for hearts of flesh by the power of the Spirit yeah. on Sunday. Uh, well, well, that's it. We hope you join us for Tom's message on Ezekiel on Sunday. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope it was helpful and informative to you. We do hope it helps as you continue to seek to be a better reading, a reader of God's Word. If you're looking for more information, because I know there's a lot of questions that we probably didn't answer on this one, I just want to recommend a few, a few additional resources. The first would be Brett McCracken's article on the Gospel Coalition, We Need Prophets, Not Partisans. We will link that on the podcast. Uh, Secondarily, there's a really good sermon by Mark Dever, who's a pastor on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., entitled Jesus Paid Taxes from Mark 12. And I think that's a really good exposition of how we understand politics. Finally, there's a good talk by Jonathan Lehman on the Gospel Coalition's article entitled Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided Age. I think all of those will be helpful to you if you can find the time uh, to take a look at them. And like I said, we will link them on the website and on the podcast feed. If you're preparing for this week's message in Ezekiel, remember that the reading is from Ezekiel 1 through 3, and Tom would also encourage you to take a look at Ezekiel 36 as well as you prepare for his message. As always, let us know if you have any additional questions that we can answer on the podcast. We'll be praying for you, and we hope you join us again next week on Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, Be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.